Hey, everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast. Now, we just celebrated Veterans Day here in the United States, and to all of our veterans and those of you serving in active military and all of our amazing military families that support, thank you all for your service. In honor of veterans, we have an amazing best of episode with one of my old pals, Val Nicholas, an Emmy Award award-winning producer and a proud military veteran. Join us for this special episode. And I learned that uh, when I was in the military, uh, it was like one of the first days of basic training. We walked in and we all got the same green uniform and we all got our heads shaved and we couldn't recognize each other anymore. We, we just all looked the same. And I remember standing on this landing and just for the hell of it, I yelled as loud as I could, hey, you, you in the green. And all 3,000 guys turned around. And I said, you know what? I've got to figure out a way not to be one of that, that herd. I got to figure out a way to elevate myself above that. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, it's Jason Patria, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast. This is the podcast for you to show your value, turn up the volume, and lead with your brand every single day to your next career breakthrough. Now, those of you who have seen me on stage or been in the classroom talking all about building your professional brand know that I love talking about Starbucks. And it's not because I'm obsessed with coffee. It's because I think Starbucks is the perfect example of great branding. And here is why. Most of us pay five bucks for a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But if you think about it, In American tradition, depending on the era or the generation, a cup of coffee has traditionally cost a nickel, dime, quarter, or 50 cents for a bottomless cup of coffee at any restaurant, any roadside diner, even any gas station in America. But today, we spend more for a cup of coffee than we would a gallon of gas. And what's even more crazy is that coffee is the world's oldest commodity. It is the very first thing that human beings traded on markets. And what happens when something's a commodity? Does the price go up or does the price go down? You've got it. The price goes down. Because if your coffee is the same as his coffee, is the same as their coffee, 
I don't care about anything but the price. Whoever is going to give it to me for the lowest price is where I'm going to go. But that's the difference between a commodity and a brand because a brand stands for something else and a brand is something that we're willing to pay more for. Now, that Starbucks brand is more than just coffee because it goes all the way back to one of their co-founders' initial viewpoints of what Starbucks should stand for. He spent time in high school and college doing foreign exchange across Europe and spending tons of time in Italy. Now, what he wanted to make sure Starbucks was, was that it was a great coffee house like the coffee houses in Europe, that it smelled like great coffee, that it was a meeting place, that people hung out, that it was a place where people came together across the community. And even today, at almost every single Starbucks, you see those elements. It's about having furniture and free Wi-Fi and restrooms and nice music and never having a policy that we're churning and burning and making you leave after a certain amount of time. Heck, I know tons of entrepreneurs who've started their business and actually run their company from their local Starbucks because Starbucks is ultimately about an experience. And that's what we mean about you and your career brand. The big question is, in your career, are you just coffee or are you a super premium brand like Starbucks? And that's what I want you to start thinking about. You can no longer afford to be a commodity worker. You must be someone that is seen as a super premium brand. Because guess what? Whatever job you have at your company, there are probably at least 10 other people that do your job. Heck, I have worked for big Fortune 5 companies where there were literally 500 other people in the company that had my exact same job title. But you know what? No one ever thought of me, Jason Patria, as a job title. They always thought of me as Jason, that guy we need on that project, that guy we need to bring in to do this special assignment because I was not being a commodity worker. I was being a super premium brand. Now, I am super excited to have an old buddy of mine, Val Nicholas, on the show today. Now, he is the senior vice president and creative director for the Summit Media Corporation, and he's a co-founder and executive producer of Eyes on Target Productions. Now, Val is a perfect example of having never been a commodity worker and always making sure that he stood out from the crowd with his super premium brand, even when he was a GI in the U.S. military. We'll be back with Val in just a few moments. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. I am super excited for our guest, Mr. Val Nicholas. Val, what's going on? You know, uh, show business is my life, just like you, Jason. <laughs> 
Well, I'm super excited to have you on the show, Val, because you've had this kind of like amazing career across um, television and now even in radio. But let me start out by asking you, when you meet people who don't know you, how do you explain who you are and what you do? You know, it's really funny because after all these years, um, even my parents didn't understand what a television producer was. And <laughs> when I first got into TV, uh, they would ask me, well, okay, um, are you on on the air? And I said, no. Are you a cameraman? I said, no. And they said, well, we don't know what that is. Then. We have no idea what a producer is. So it depends on who I'm talking to. If they understand who a producer is, then I will tell them. If they don't, then I will um, tell them it's sort of like a director in movies. You know, you take charge of the show and, and you put all the stuff together. And, but most of the time, they will have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> So, Val, I wanted to talk to you because you've had this sort of amazing career in the creative space and creative and marketing um, for TV. So talk to me a little bit about your career. What have been some of the biggest career breakthrough moments for you? Well, the biggest one was the very first one. Um, When I first got out of the Army and I was going to college, I had no idea what to take. And I was in armor, so I was in tanks, and there were not a lot of jobs for tank commanders. So uh, I asked my friend, Mike, I said, Mike, uh, what are you going to do? And he said, oh, I'm going to be an electrical engineer. And I said, that's great. I'll do that, too. And I got into college, and I realized it was all math, and I don't <laughs> do math. And so I was screwed. Uh, so the second semester, I decided to take one of everything that might be interesting. So I took pre-law, pre-med, anthropology, journalism, a whole bunch of stuff, and it turned out I could write. And so I eventually ended up on the college paper. Um, and I realized very quickly, if I was entertainment editor, I would get free tickets to everything and free albums and free everything. So I raised my hand to be entertainment editor. Um, meanwhile, I was on the GI Bill and um, working two jobs, taking 21 credits a semester because I thought I was behind. And um, uh, our counselor, a woman named Dr. Jean Stevens, would always send me out to scholarships that she would find. And one day she walked in and said, listen, there's a $10,000 scholarship and a paid summer internship job at the local TV station, KCRA in Sacramento. And I said, listen, I don't have a TV. I don't like TV. I don't watch TV. I'm going to be (laughs) on the New York Times. I have no interest in TV. And she looked at me and said, $10,000, paid job, get your ass over there. And so I did. I went over there and um, and I got the scholarship and I got the job. And the first day I walked in on a Monday, the station manager walked in and he said, listen, I know you're an intern. I know this is your first day, but the woman you were supposed to intern for who runs this department quit on Friday. So I need you to learn this department and run it until I can get somebody in here. And I said, yeah, sure. And it turned out I had to produce four half hour public service shows. Uh, live ones. I had to produce public service announcements. I was an intern running the internship program, and I had no TV background whatsoever, not a single class. And that's what worked for me, Jason, was the fact that I didn't know the rules. And so when I started producing those shows, I produced them the way I wanted to see them. And what ended up happening was they started to win awards and all of that stuff. And then when they got a, um, a 
quote, real show show up. It was a morning talk show. Um, a woman from Baltimore was supposed to come in and produce it. And 10 days before it launched, she said, nah, I'm not coming. And so the owner of the company called me in with the general manager. And they said, look, we saw what you've been doing on the weekend on those public service shows. And it's pretty innovative. I'm going to give you an uh, opportunity to produce this daily talk show. Um, but I don't think you're ready. And this is the owner. He said, and I got to tell you, if you fail, I'm going to fire you. So you have till Monday to tell me whether you want the show or not, but you got to launch it in 10 days. And I said, (laughs) I don't have to wait till Monday. Uh, Give me the show. And, uh, and I think it was the first year we won an Emmy. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's amazing. And I love how you talked about not being limited by knowing what the rules are, right? So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, because you are a co-founder and an executive producer of Eyes on Target Productions. You're the SVP and creative director for Summit Media Corp. What what are you focused on now at this point in your career? Well, the reason I left NBC was twofold. One, the guy who started me in television at KCRA, a guy named John Kelly, when I had left for NBC, I had told him, you know, look, you've given me a good life. So if you ever need me, you just call me and I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll come back to work for you. And for, you know, a couple of decades, he was just running racehorses, you know, billionaire guy running racehorses. And then one day he calls me out of the blue and he says, listen, I just dropped a couple hundred million dollars to buy a bunch of radio stations and I need a creative guy. Uh, Were you uh, were you kidding about what you said? And I said, no. When do you need me? And uh, I thought it would be really good to bookend my career you know, what, with the guy I started it with. And mm-hmm. so that was an easy choice. And meanwhile, I had been working on a show called uh, 10 Weeks with a guy named uh, Colonel Jack Jacobs, a Medal of Honor recipient. And we had been working with the Army to get them to let us go through basic training, but use all modern techniques, use body cams, use drones, use all of the sophisticated stuff that we have now. So it would really feel first person, that you'd really feel like you're there. And the Army said yes, and I just couldn't get it done at NBC. And I really couldn't take it out because I was the vice president of NBC News, and it would be a conflict of interest. So I really couldn't do this show. But once I went to Summit, all of a sudden, oh, I can do this show. So Jacobs and I, uh, we formed Eyes on Target Productions. And within a couple of months of leaving NBC, we had a deal with Blumhouse you know, to produce this show. And so just before the, uh, the um, pandemic started, we finished shooting at Fort Jackson. So we had all the footage and then the pandemic hit. We put it all together and uh, it ended up getting sold to Quibi, which we all know what happened to Quibi. <laughs> I know that you teach all of the time about being creative in the space. So tell me a little bit, you know, now that you're like a seasoned executive, how do you still not get trapped by the rules? Well, the one biggest rule when I when I'm working with producers or writers or directors, anybody who's in the creative element, I tell them, if you're working on this project, think about every single way you've seen it done, every single one. Now, wipe all of that off the table and start from here. So that way you're not copying somebody else's stuff. You're not depending on somebody else's words. And you've seen it a million times, all these spots and all these shows, they all look the same. You know, most of the time within the first two minutes of a TV show, I know what's going to happen. I know who the bad guy is. I got it all because they're just copying each other. 
And then every now and then a show appears and you have no idea where they're going and you just love it. There was a show on uh, DC called the Doom Patrol. And I had no idea what the hell was going on in that show. And I loved it so much. So the, the biggest trick in creative is to actually let yourself be creative and not copy other people's stuff because that's not creative. So, Val, tell me, how did you get then from sort of this early career, right? You get your foot in the door, you're working in local TV. Then how did you get to, like, the big time working at ABC and NBC and in, like, these really elevated creative director and executive roles? The biggest thing, and I will tell everybody this a million times, raise your hand. Be the one who always volunteers, no matter what comes up. Raise your hand and do it. I raised my hand. I did college football games. I did elections. I did telethons, Jerry Lewis telethons. I did whatever came down the pike. I was the first one to raise my hand and say, yeah, I'll do that. And they'd say, well, there's no extra money and you're going to have to work week. I'll do that. And the more you do that, the more you learn, the more you get better, the more they, they look at you as the go-to person. Well, yeah, we got to get it done in a hurry. Better get Val in here. And so you become that person. And um, and if you keep your standards of your creative really high, which I did, I, I didn't look at the people in my market as a yardstick of where I should be creatively. I looked at the best in the business. And that's who I was going after creatively. And after a while, NBC had this thing called the Golden Peacock Award mm -hmm. for advertising and that stuff. And in the first five years, I won four out of five. And I didn't win the fifth one because I told them to take my name out. It was getting embarrassing, and it was probably somebody else's turn. But during that process, you know, that's when they discovered me. And they spent years trying to recruit me to NBC uh, Entertainment in Burbank. And I was a big fish in a little pond in Sacramento, and I was digging it. Um, mm -hmm. But then after a while, I just thought to myself, I need to work in Los Angeles and I need to work in New York if I'm ever going to be happy and I can check those boxes off. So finally, I said, yeah, OK, I'll come down. And I had fun in Los Angeles. And then I ended up in New York at NBC News. I ended up in New Jersey at MSNBC first. And I didn't know it was in New Jersey. I thought it was in New York. And, you know, I'm from California. So we're riding across the bridge and I'm going, where are we going? I, I thought this was in New York. Said, no, 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 this is in New Jersey. And we ended up in a little place called Secaucus, New Jersey, which um, the best restaurant was Quiznos because they toasted your sandwich. <laughs> so a little bit of the old bait and switch, I guess. Oh, right? yeah. It was like being at the Alamo. <laughs> so, Val, tell me, how would you describe your brand as a creative executive? My biggest brand as a creative executive is to let people be creative. I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. And if I do, then everything starts sounding like me. And pretty soon there's there's no creative at all. I want people who are smarter than me, who are coming up with better ideas than me. And maybe I'll massage them or I'll just let them go. But that's where you become a really good creative director is if you see where people are going and where they have their potential. And all you do is help massage to get them there, but let them do their own creative. Get the hell out of their way. 
And I'll give you an example. When I was at NBC Entertainment, I had a team called NBC 2000, and we did all of the interstitial stuff in between shows, you know, all of the kind of stuff that they used to do, but now I, I think they just fill them with spots. But uh, remember when they used to split the credits and one side was content and the other, yeah, we did all that content. And so um, I had a rule with all my uh, predators, my producer editors, you have to do your daily job, but I want all of you to work on one project that's just yours. And you don't have to tell me about it. You can use our equipment. And if it doesn't go, you never have to show. If it does go, show it to me and may, and we'll get it on the air. But it's your project. And the greatest stuff came out of that. I remember one time we were working on Friends and this guy named Galen, he was an eccentric uh, producer editor. In fact, he did <laughs> most his best work between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. So most of the time I would come in in the morning and he'd be sleeping under his avid. And, you know, I'd go in and I'd wake him up. And, and Galen, one day he jumps up out from underneath his desk and says, hey, I've been working on this thing for a month and I, I just don't know what to do with it, but I think it's pretty good. And I said, well, play it. And he played it and it was the friend's. But he had taken all of the little noises that they made, ooh, ah, ee, ah, ah, all these weird noises, and he cut it into a song. And it was the catchiest earworm you ever heard. It was amazing. And he goes, yeah, but I don't know what to do with it. And I said, I know exactly what we're going to do with this. At the beginning, we're going to say, hey, we here at NBC decided to try a new theme song for friends. Give it a listen. Ooh, ah, ee, ah, ah. And then at the end, well, maybe not. And then dun, 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 we go back to the original. And so we cut that together. We took it to um, my boss was a guy named Vince Manzi. And um, it was on the air that night. Now, I could have never ordered him to do that. I would have never thought of it. I couldn't have given him that assignment. So if you let creatives be creative, that's what they bring to the party. And there are too many non-creative folks who are in charge of creatives. And they just sit on them. Because it doesn't sound like something they've already heard. So it must not be very good. So, Val, I love that you gave that perfect example, and I totally remember that spot. In fact, I feel like that's now been a, a format that people have, like, copied a gazillion oh, yeah. times, especially in, like, now in social media, right, as YouTube clips and the like. And it's fun to, like, think of how that started with, you know, the guy Galen sleeping under his his Avid machine and probably, like, doing that in the middle of middle of the night, you know. Every kind of textbook business book tells us that we need to not micromanage people, right? And that you need to not be the smartest person in the room. But how do you actually do that knowing that you are a super creative guy? You are a smart guy. You have been in the trenches. How do you like catch yourself from squelching that in those situations? You have to um, remember that your job as a creative director is not to sit there and figure out ways to say no whatever somebody brought in you know why oh man i'm gonna say no your job is to figure out how do we get that to a yes how do we make this actually work you know i i it's not my favorite idea but how do we make this idea work so your job is to figure out how to say yes and that's what i immediately think about when somebody brings in something and i'm you know creatively it doesn't fit with what i think is really good but now i have to let that go and say how do I say yes to this? Where, what's, what kind of tweak do I need to do to get this person to a yes? And then let them go. Let them play. Let them have fun. 
I remember one time uh, the owner of Kelly Broadcasting here in Sacramento, I was cutting a, a campaign. He used to try all of these weird things over the summer, and he had brought in a, um Australian soap opera called Neighbors. And so I was cutting a thing with kangaroos and all sorts of crap. And he comes in one day, and I'm in the edit room, and he goes, hey, I want to see your rough cut on this. And I said, no. He said, what do you mean, no? And I said, you can't see my rough cut. And he said, I'm the owner. I'm telling you, I want to see the rough cut. And I said, John, here's the deal. If you want me to make a beautiful swan, you have to let me make my ugly ducklings in private. Because if you look at my ugly ducklings, you're going to think, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And he looked at me for a second, and he goes, okay, I get that. And he walked out. (laughs) So, Val, talk to me a little bit about your brand as a leader, and how have you sort of honed that through the years? I mean, in fact, I always just think, you know, how does a military guy driving in, like, these crazy armored tanks suddenly feel, like, super relevant as a entertainment guy walking through like 30 rock or like the NBC halls in Burbank there. uh, It's no different. One of the things I learned in army leadership school was that every person say I I had to charge a machine gun and I had to get all these guys to do it. All these men and women to do it. Um, One of the things they taught me in army leadership school is everybody's going to go after your mission for a different reason. And you need to understand each person's motivation. So one person's going to go because they want to be a hero. They want to be John Wayne. One person's going to go because they're defending the country. They believe in the flag. One person's going to go because they want to protect the person next to them. One person's going to go because of their family at home, whatever it is. And once you understand what motivates these people, then you can push them wherever you need them to go. And the same thing with creatives. They're no different. Each creative is motivated by something different. Someone wants awards. They want nothing but awards. One wants uh, to get recognition within the company. One wants to get promoted. One want, And all of them have a different goal in mind. And if you can uh, maneuver whatever you're trying to do to fit their mission, then they will be really good at it and they'll go after it really hard. And that also works upstairs. Because each one of your bosses is motivated by something different. Some of them want to, you know, they wanted the corner office. Some of them just want to make some more money. Some of them want to expand their little fiefdom. Whatever it is, if you're going to pitch something up the ladder, it's the same thing. Figure out what their motivation is and then fit whatever you're trying to do into what motivates them. And you're probably going to get a yes. So, again, it's all about the power of yes for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But on the other hand, Jason, a no is as good as a yes to me, because I remember uh, one time I was pitching a thing to Vince uh, Manzi, and he was one of the hardest creatives I ever worked with. And I got so good because I worked with him. But I walked in with this thing and I showed it to him and he goes, yeah, yeah, it's all right. And I said, Vince, you don't like it, do you? He goes, no, it's all right. I said, listen, don't make me go back and cut this for a week. And bring it back when you don't actually like it. So a no is as good as a yes to me because then I'll do something else. And he goes, yeah, you're right. No, I don't like it. <laughs> so, so sometimes a no is as good as a yes. But but never anything vague. That's one of my rules is never do anything vague. 
Because when you do, it, it's just always going to turn to crap because 10 different people want it 10 different ways. But if you're specific, then everybody's on the same page. Absolutely. Now, Val, when I think of you, one of the things that I think about is you and your cowboy boots. Oh, yeah. So so talk a little bit about how you show up on brand in terms of, you know, the way you choose to look and and present yourself with your career audiences and your clients and your teams. Well, one of the things that in any big business, um, you're going to be just another worker bee unless you can find a way to get out of the herd. And one of the things for me is, um, as you know, Jason, I have over 200 pair of cowboy boots. I am the Amelda Marcos of cowboy boots. And, and that's not an accident. That's not by accident. Uh, one, I do like cowboy boots. But two, I wear all these boots all the time because one of these days I'm going to be in a meeting. They don't know me. I'm going to say something really smart or, or interesting. And then they're going to try to find me again. And in a company of 200,000 people, that's going to be hard to do. But somebody's going to say, oh, there's a black guy in the cowboy boots. And somebody's going to know who that is. So, <laughs> so it's, not, it's not an accident. It is, it is my brand. And I learned that uh, when I was in the military, uh, it was like one of the first days of basic training. We walked in and we all got the same green uniform and we all got our heads shaved and we couldn't recognize each other anymore. We, did, we just all looked the same. And I remember standing on this landing, and just for the hell of it, I yelled as loud as I could, hey, you, you in the green. And all 3,000 guys turned around. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I've got to figure out a way not to be one of that, that herd. i got to figure out a way to elevate myself above that. And so yeah. I spent most of my time in basic doing that, figuring out how to do that. Yeah. So so tell us about that, Val, because, you know, basic training is really about how do we make everyone into a team and not be an individual? How did you still have a unique brand that was valued while still being part of a cohesive military unit? Two things happened. One, they were giving me these um, black rim Buddy Holly glasses that the Army always gives you, and they're not as cool as yours. They're they <laughs> really uncool. And so every time I got a pair, I just step on and then I'd go back and I'd say, you know, uh, they got broken. And they and finally they said, you know what, you're going to have to wear your own damn glasses. And what I had were <laughs> aviator glasses that, remember those transition lenses? Well, these yeah. transition dark and never transition back. So if you look at any picture of me in basic training, there's one guy standing there in sunglasses. And so when anybody was looking for me, it's, oh, yeah, the, it's the black guy in the sunglasses. And so they can always find me. And then the second thing I decided to do, and this is what I did in my and still do in my television and radio career, is I want to be the best one who ever did whatever I'm doing. I need to be the best at it, not just good, not just great, the best at it. And so I was doing that when I got into basic. And when people were doing uh, pull ups, I was doing one arm pull ups. And when people were doing, you know, whatever it was, I would go above and beyond it. And then one day, a sergeant called me in because I was doing one-arm pull-ups because we had to do pull-ups to get into the mess hall. And everybody was cheering. And out of the window, uh, this drill sergeant yelled, Nicholas, get in here. And I was like, oh, man, I'm, uh, I'm going to do like 12,000 push-ups now. And I got in there, and he said, listen, for whatever reason, those guys seem to respect you. So here's some sergeant stripes. Put them on. You're now a squad leader. 
And that's how I got uh, out of the herd. Wow. But be the best. Be the best. I don't care what how small the job is. I don't care if it's, you know, passing around scripts. I don't care what it is. Be the best one who ever did it. You know, the first thing I got to produce, I remember, was a 10-second uh, promo for the um, noon news, the news at noon. And what they would do is sit on the set and say, coming up at noon, the blah, 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 we'll see you at noon. And I said, you know what the hell with that? And so I had my little cubby hole desk and I went and stole everybody's plants and put them all around my desk. And then I had the art department create a thing that says uh, news at noon. And I put it on the wall behind my desk and I had the anchor come in, but take off his jacket and roll up his sleeves. And I gave him a piece of paper with really nothing on it. But he said, here's what we're working on today at noon. And we're going to bring you this and we'll see you at noon. And all of a sudden that got noticed. And that's how I started um, doing real promos, you know, after that. But it, it doesn't matter how small the thing is. Be the best one who ever did it. Mm -hmm. And Val, you know, I love that whole notion of, you know, like, how do you find excellence in everything that you do? And that's something that just triggers even just memories of having worked with you. Tell me a little bit about back when the Obama inauguration happened, and then you oh. found all of this, like, amazing stuff that could be done with that. Well, this is how I got to NBC News, actually. I was at uh, MSNBC. I was the vice president of marketing for and I was doing pilots and all sorts of stuff for them. But General Electric used to do this thing called the African-American Forum. And they would take like 3,000 black people and throw us into Baltimore for a week. And we talk about black people stuff. And I remember I was sitting there at a movie screening. And I happened to be sitting next to the president of NBC News, Steve Kappas. I didn't know him. But anytime I'm sitting with somebody like that, I'm not going to waste that opportunity. And this was like 2008, and uh, Obama was just get, about to get elected. And I turned to Steve and I said, you know, listen, I'm at MSNBC. My name's Val Nicholas, and I don't understand why we don't have a DVD called um, Yes, We Can, the Barack Obama story, because everybody seems to love this guy. He's like a rock star. And, um, and Steve said, nah, you know, listen, uh, we tried the Pope, and we tried Princess Di, and they sell about 300. They're just not worth all the work. And I said, well, I'm an MS and I already have a Barack Obama hour. All we'd have to do is cut in some election stuff and we'd be good to go. It costs maybe two grand in a week. And he goes, oh yeah, okay, go ahead and do it. And we did it. I think a guy named Andy Franklin actually out of the news department ended up cutting it. And um, instead of selling 300, we sold a hundred thousand of them in the first week for 1999 at, on a $2,000 investment. Now, like I said, I'm not good at math. I'm not an MBA, <laughs> but I can do that math. And so, <laughs> so we followed that up with um, the inauguration of Barack Obama. And then we followed that up with um, inside the Obama White House. And then for the holidays, the box set. And then once Love everybody it. started hating uh, Obama, we started working on the Michelle Obama story. <laughs> It's a, a franchise, it works. Exactly. Right? <laughs> all, yeah. But after he saw the numbers, after he saw the actual uh, millions returned on a $2,000 investment, he called me one day and said, hey, I was just looking at the numbers on these DVDs. How come you're not working for me? And that's how I got from MSNBC to NBC News. 
Wow. Right. Again, all about saying yes and and pitching ideas, right? Yep. So as we wrap, Val, I have a few final questions for you. Absolutely. So we're talking all about brands. So what is your favorite consumer brand? Um, What brand are you obsessed with? The the brand that I really, really like, um, and I watch what they do a lot, is Apple. You know, because the interesting thing about Apple is they don't actually innovate. You know, everybody thinks that it's a big, innovative company. They're really not. You know, they weren't the first ones to do earbuds. They weren't the first ones to do, you know, it, it, it's interesting because they get credit for it because they do it better. Mm-hmm. And if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Oh, man, I'm waiting to get to Santa Barbara to get my old guy car. And that's going to be a 911 Porsche. Ooh. Yeah, fast and furious. <laughs> so give me what are three words that you would use to describe your brand innovative mission oriented and no quit so val finally thinking over your long career in the business what's the best advice you would pass on to other people don't wait for permission to try something just do it and if it works show everybody If it doesn't work, don't show anybody. But don't wait for permission to try stuff. People wait too long for permission. When I did that thing with Steve Kappas and the Barack Obama thing, I didn't go to the president of MSNBC and ask him if I could do that. or I just went and did it. You know, and if I was going to get beat up over it, well, okay, fine. I was going to get beat up over it. But too many people wait around for somebody to anoint them or give them permission to try something. And most of your bosses, they really want you to try something. They want something innovative. They want something breakthrough. Every one of their clients, the first thing out of their mouth says, what do you got new? What do you got that's new? And so if you can figure out how to do that, you're always going to be good. You know, but don't wait for permission. You know, there's, I, I say there's two circles. There's this really small circle where the magic lives, and it's really dangerous in there. And you, you could crash and burn really hard. You could lose your job even. And then there's this giant big circle where everybody else lives, and it's really safe. And nothing really grows in there, but it's really safe. And the people who really break through, who make a difference, are the ones who live in that little circle, and they're fearless. They're not afraid. And, and if, if you are fearless, it doesn't matter whether it's successful or not. You tried. You tried your best. And the deal is, if you're shooting for 100 and you get to 70% and you started at zero, look how far you went. You know, I, I'm a mountain climber. And half the times we never get to the peak. But that's not why we're climbing it. I'm having such a great time with my friends that I haven't seen in years and we're struggling and we're doing all this stuff and we're going to have great stories after. So it wasn't about hitting that summit. It was about the trip to that summit that counts. And the same thing with your creative. It's not about winning awards or doing any of that stuff because that stuff's going to happen by itself. It's about that journey, that creative journey that you want to take. And the only way you can really take it is to be brave. Well, Val Nicholas, thank you so much for being brave and taking us on your career journey. And we'll be back in a few minutes with my final thoughts. 
Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, thank you for listening to the show. I just loved reconnecting with Val because he's such a great example of standing out from the crowd. Now, ultimately, that's what great brands do. They stand out from the crowd and they let you know when you should use them. Now, Val stood out from the crowd ever since he was a young GI in the U.S. military. And I think you can stand out in so many ways that we heard from Val. It's all about having those unique elements of maybe even what you wear. You know, when you have 200 pairs of cowboy boots, you know that it's the guy walking in here with the cowboy boots that you've got to have um, on your team or to hire. But more importantly than dress and maybe the way you have your office is what are the ways you're going to stand out in terms of your actions and your behaviors. And when I think back on Val, he always stands out by being innovative and coming up with ideas and just doing it, like creating that Obama inauguration video. What a great example of coming out of nowhere to create huge value. And the bottom line is huge dollars. And huge dollars always equate to a great career breakthrough. Well, there you go. Those are my thoughts for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure that you have hit the subscribe button and go ahead and rate the show. And I'd love to hear and see a review from you. You can follow me on all social platforms at at Jason Patria and check me out on LinkedIn. I'd love a follow or even a connection if you want to get great tips to lead with your brand towards your next career breakthrough. Until next time, make sure that you are not a commodity, but you are a super premium brand. Don't be coffee, be Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.